We are recording. So this is episode episode twelve, I believe. Fourteen. Good God. No, twelve would be broadcast this Sunday. Okay, that's where I am. We can count. Uh it says fourteen here. Yes, that's right. So that's recording fourteen. That's right, because we have two yes, got it. Okay. Okay, welcome everyone. Um, it's episode 14 of Tokyo Jazz Joints. We're calling this week's episode The Weird and Wonderful. Uh, we're going to have two parts to this one at least, unless we uncover a few more weird and wonderful places um, as we sort of go through the archives. James, how have you been this week? Really, really good. Um, it's been a good week here in the Tokyo metro area, even though we're in the middle of the rainy season. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good. Things have opened up and I've been out and around a little bit more than in the last few months. So um, I'm very, very excited for tonight's uh, discussion. I mean, the, the places we're going to go to, I've got copious amounts of notes. I even had to bust out a very special beverage a Weihans Stefaner Hefeweissbier Dunkel. Very, very old brewery from Bavaria, Germany. Hard to get beer here in Japan, but uh, for this discussion, I think I needed to, to get the big guns out. Fair enough. For our non-German listeners, that translates to beer, I think, or somewhere, <laughs> uh, something like that. Um, I hope that energy is infectious. I'm feeling a bit tired myself uh, this morning. For those of you who are listening in the future, particularly years uh, or certainly months in the future, we're gradually easing out of lockdown in our respective countries. I'm in Dublin in Ireland, as you probably know if you're a regular listener. James is over there in Yokohama. Um, and uh, perhaps even by the time you listen to this, you'll be reading about the great pandemic of 2020 and the history books, who knows. But uh, for now, anyway, uh, things are sort of normalizing here a little bit more. Shops are opening up and stuff. The weather's taken a turn to the more uh, predictable uh, Irish weather, I suppose. So, yeah, hopefully this uh, discussion will energize me, James. Give me a bit of uh, a boost. So um, let's start with um, Saitama. Um, we mentioned briefly Saitama, but it, it does have a kind of, there's a running joke, I suppose, in Japanese, um, which is, uh, it can it is sometimes, and apologies to listeners in Saitama, it's sometimes referred to as Das Saitama. Um, and obviously <laughs> Dasai in Japanese means kind of uh, unfashionable, uncool, bit dumpy, bit uninteresting, I suppose. And, so basically, um, it's the New Jersey of the Tokyo metro area. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to put uh, myself behind that claim, uh, having only visited New Jersey to, to access the airport a couple of times. But certainly, it's very much a commuter town. Uh, it's, it's sort of known for being fairly windswept. It's very flat, um, incredibly hot in the summer. I've been up there a few times in the summer, really dry um, and uh, very sort of humid, uh, kind of weather if it's a sunny day and um, it's kind of really uh, sort of a commuter belt isn't it essentially I suppose uh, really like a huge uh, suburban sprawl lot of yeah families. yeah you, you you would say I mean it's and it's a it's a very large prefecture um, it does have a couple of its own very unique uh, individual cities like Kawagoe which was an old merchant town um, way in the west part of Saitama you've got the Chichibu Hills where people go hiking and camping it's quite beautiful but uh, basically you know there's just uh, you know hundreds of square kilometers uh, to the north of the Tokyo border is, is just these, as you mentioned, sort of satellite 
new towns of Saitama um, that are very identical looking, um, quite flat, blisteringly hot in the summertime. Um, I, when I first came to Japan, did live in Saitama and left after just one year because I wanted to be more central. Um, but even, you know, even out there, as we're going to get into, you know, there are some uh, some really killer jazz spots um, in some of the least likely locations as well. Uh, the first place we're going to talk about today uh, in relation to Saitama was, I think, the second or third place. We met pretty early in the morning, and we ended up here around about lunchtime, and it was called uh, Miles Antique Shop. I think, if I remember correctly, we went by car. Uh, because it was so far away from any train station. should probably clarify there that um, when you say we went by car, it was obviously my car and I did all the driving, um, rather than being delivered by car, uh, which makes it sound very ostentatious and definitely there's no part of this project in any shape or form that's been ostentatious. The, the yeah. thing that's very strange is is that, like you mentioned, I mean, I, I thought when we first went there, when, when, when we had read about this place, right, I thought it was a, a, a jazz cafe that just had a lot of antiques that was sort of, you know, the standout of what the design, you know, what the interior, uh, you know, would be like. I didn't realize that it was an actual store where everything in there is for sale. And mm. do you remember when we walked in? I mean, we could you can barely sort of move around in there because the tables in the front are really large. And the walls are covered with things, but everything else is sort of just, just all the knickknacks are sort of randomly assembled everywhere. I definitely knocked over at least three or four things in about the hour that we were there. I um, think that's the least the least we would expect. <laughs> based on my or previous track record, yes. Based on, on many, many uh, journeys. And I mean, that was quite early on in the day. God only knows if we'd arrived at night. I've just realized actually from looking at the photographs as well. You can actually see my car. And uh, it's one of, the, one of the things I miss most about not living in Japan is this absurd um, Japanese gangster car that I ended up buying with a couple of friends. Uh, off a slightly eccentric Englishman, and then uh, I got left with the car on my own, and they decided they didn't want it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a beautiful car to drive, far too big for Tokyo. Um, turned a lot of heads, obviously, because of its connections with um, the Japanese underworld, uh, not to mention the blacked-out windows and leather you seats. You sure that wasn't your you know, rockabilly wardrobe and slick-back hair that, that turned heads? <laughs> I'd like to think it was a combination of both. But anyway, yes. uh, you can see certainly from, um, from the outside, and the exterior in particular, like Miles Antique Shop was basically very similar to a lot of the places that we've we've mentioned before in previous episodes where it's essentially a family home. Uh, you know, the downstairs has been converted into this antique shop come Jazz Kisa. And then obviously the family live upstairs and it's really functions much as, as much as anything as kind of like a social club for the neighborhood. You know, uh, locals come, neighbors come. And of course, it's open to other customers. But uh, I would suspect the majority of them are probably locals, don't you think? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you, you got a nice picture of the sign outside uh, that says in English jazz cafe and antiques in Japanese it's exactly what it says it says jazz kisa and kotto which means antiques um, and uh, you know it lives up to that billing because as soon as we walk in I mean it's really cluttered there are little figurines and knickknacks all around the place um, I'm certainly uh, sure that I knocked over at least four things in the hour that we were there um, tried to Did cover it up so we didn't get caught you know <laughs> 
Well, it's that it's that shoulder bag that you love so much. It kind of <laughs> tends to swing, doesn't it? Like sort of pendulum style. Yes. And uh, not always in rhythm with you. So, you know, you never quite know what's trailing behind with, you. With but. my power walking. Um, exactly. But, yeah, of but course. Uh, you, you mentioned the community aspect and you, you got a great pick uh, of the counter in the back of the room, which is where the like kind of little cafe space is. And um, I was able to eavesdrop a little bit on the conversation going on among those people. They were all regulars. They all knew the owners, you could tell. Um, probably go there at least three, four, maybe even five days a week. Um, and it was interesting. If you look in the foreground of, of the picture, the, the old fella um, right at the edge, he was actually hooked up. Um, and you, I think you, the picture got the top of the case. He was walking around with one of those oxygen tanks, you know, that you see actually mm. very often in Japan because there's so many elderly here. Um, but clearly it was the kind of place where these uh, customers would come and hang out for a couple of hours doubtful that they would be buying any antiques um and so you know i was very curious we didn't get a chance to really sit and talk to the owners there because i wanted to know which came first was it an ant did they have like all of these antiques they decided to sell and then they just started serving coffee and then turned it into a cafe or was it the opposite they had the cafe and then people started bringing things by to sell it still remains a mystery to this day because they don't have a website yeah we couldn't really get in i mean that that picture of the counter as you see there is it's basically the closest we could get into that sort of inner sanctum area um because it was rammed with the, with those locals um so we did do a bit of wandering around uh, you can see a few bits and pieces that i photographed of the antiques there's a really nice one of an old trumpet um but yeah we we kind of sat i think for you know an hour or so maybe had a coffee probably about the third or fourth coffee of the day so the hands were really shaking by that stage but um, we did have a conversation yeah. with someone though um, do you remember we were sitting at the table with uh, an old lady um, i do and and she was asking us quite a few questions about well you know sort of the usual where are you from oh my god your japanese is so good blah 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 but um you know she told us a little bit about saitama i remember because um one thing she had said was that she wasn't from there she'd moved there from southern japan after the war and like a lot of people who had come to the Tokyo region, you know, looking for work. Um, and so that I remember that conversation uh, distinctly that, you know, she'd come from way down south from Kyushu, which, of course, we'll be discussing at another time, our adventures oh, yeah. there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it was that kind of place. And I think because it was that sort of house uh, turned into a cafe vibe, um, they were, you know, the people there would be from the neighborhood. I, I mean, I would imagine we were one of the few customers they've had in, in at least a couple of years who came from the center of Tokyo to go up there. Well, again, it's like, you know, it's like a lot of the places, isn't it? Unless you have a reason to be there, you just wouldn't be out there. And, and particularly uh, here, you know, I don't know what the transport links were like, but even even by car, it was kind of a trek and, and that was more convenient going by train. So I, I'm guessing, you know, it's not really. And you can see from just the, the bottom right-hand photograph where, um, you get an idea of the kind of neighborhood it is. You know, it's got that sort of um, kind of sun-bleached feel to it. There's not a lot of shade. Um, it was pretty hot that day. And, you know, again, it's not really the sort of place you'd just be out for for a long walk kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's probably fairly likely that we, um, you know, maybe raised a few eyebrows. Um, the fact that we knew about it at all and certainly the fact that we'd sort of come there specifically to... To visit it, but it had been a day in Saitama that we had planned out, and uh, it was one of four or five places that we went to that day. But the theme of the episode being weird and wonderful, we're going to jump around geographically and not necessarily go by um, 
places that we all visited sort of in, on a consecutive day or anything like that. So um, the next place we're going to have a quick chat about then is back to Tokyo, which is uh, Kisa Seikatsu. Do you want to tell us about that? Well, you, you mentioned uh, being jittery from too much coffee. So um, <laughs> if you're a coffee lover, this is the jazz spot that you have got to visit. Um, this guy, who never gave us his name, he was one of the most uncommunicative owners we've encountered. Um, not out of meanness or hostility. I've been told by many people he's just very, very shy. He doesn't talk to customers um, except about what they're ordering. And what's what's really, really funny, it makes sense after you hear that, is because he has a Twitter feed where he's tweeted 19,000 times over the I love years. This. But he doesn't follow anyone. And Amazing. he never interacts with anyone. All he does is he tweets when he opens the shop, whatever time he gets there, and then seven or eight tweets during the day of the various coffee beans that he's serving up. And then he tweets once again when he closes. I mean, that's literally it. Um, so it's sort of like it's it's like the virtual version of his of his offline self, really, isn't it? Like he comes, opens up, doesn't say much, serves some coffee, plays some records, then closes up and goes home. Exactly, and you know, you remember when we got there? Um, I had been there once before, once or twice before, and I remember uh, he talked a little bit about the jazz. But not so much. I asked him about a couple of records, and he, he clearly was a big fan. As you can see from the pictures, he's got a lot of records there, yeah. Uh, and he plays them all day. Uh, but the only thing that he really opened up about was when I asked him about where he imported the coffee from, and then I got about maybe ninety seconds of chat out of him, um, nice. which was which was a torrent compared to what what usually he would say. Um, but this is, a, I would say, this is the smallest place that we've been inside. Don't you think? Well, I would say probably um, Impro gives it a run for its money, certainly. But like, mm. you, I was thinking that as I was looking at the photographs, you know, it looks very small from the photographs. And the reason for that really is because it is very small. There's really not much actually to photograph um, inside. Most of the floor space, uh, other than where the tables are, is taken up by huge coffee bags. Um, and, um, I, you know, it, it's the smell of the place, I think, probably that is the sort of overwhelming memory, really. You know, you're sitting there listening to, to great music and there's just this incredibly rich smell of, of coffee beans, either literally right beside your table or being roasted uh, or ground by him. And, you know, oh, it's, it was it's, great. It's I mean, really as soon nice as you As soon as you go in, it's like you stuck your head in one of those bags, you know? It's, yeah, um, it's yeah. wonderful. You've got a great photo, though, the, the exterior of it where you see him right in the center of the window. Um, I mean, yeah, that is the whole shop there. It's the size of a small bedroom. Um, and yeah. this, this guy's pretty much there uh, every day for about nine nine hours or so. Sometimes I think he might close uh, on Friday at 10. I don't know how many customers are going in for a thick coffee at 9.30 p.m. But, um, but that's pretty much all he does all day is he grinds the beans and he plays jazz. He's completely zenned out. Um, never, never got his name either. Nobody seems to know what his name is. So another mystery to add to our list of, uh, hmm. uh, of things to explore in our next round uh, when you get back to Japan. Because I, I really would like to sit down and have a talk with him, especially uh, knowing that this place is in the Koenji neighborhood of Tokyo. Um, people out hmm. there who've been to Tokyo who are living here in Japan would definitely know Koenji as being, um, I don't know, how would you describe it? It's a very hip uh, music town with a lot of rock bars, a lot of hip-hop bars. Uh, but having this sort of anomaly of a, this tiny little uh, jazz cafe really stuck out because there's no other jazz 
spots around the neighborhood. You know, we walked around. No, the it's times. a big, big punk neighborhood as well, isn't it, Coenji? But yes. I mean, at the risk of overanalyzing, I mean, and you know, I'm sure there's plenty of you know, Japan academics that will correct me, but it does, again, put me in mind of that kind of religiosity of some of these places. You know, the, the, the tweeting particularly made me think of that, those kind of Zen-like rituals almost, just that routine day in, day out, that exact same thing. And, you know, that sort of contentment that, I, I again, I'm projecting, but that he has. He just comes, he opens up. He's not necessarily looking for anything more. He doesn't necessarily want anything from you in terms of chatting or anything. He's quite happy just to, to go through the routines. He knows what he's doing. He You're does totally it with love. Right about he does that, it though, Because if you look, you look carefully at the, at the endless numbers of shots of coffee beans on the Twitter feed, they're always arranged in the exact same way. With the yeah. mug on the table, so it's like you're seeing like you're seeing like hundreds and hundreds of v- slightly different versions of the same picture. It's actually quite it's actually quite impressive. Yeah. So there obviously is more than one way to enlightenment. Clearly, <laughs> hey, coffee and jazz, man. I mean, that beats sitting zazen in a temple, if you ask me. Well, not forgetting tea, of course. And I love that sign. I mean, it's it almost looks like a it, it almost looks like a kind of a t-shirt slogan. It's just so simple and so uh, stripped down. Just coffee tea, jazz. I mean, I, I think if you had, if I was left with just those three things and nothing else, I'd probably be happy enough, I'd say. It's anyway, funny because um, you mentioned before we go from this place, it, the, the font of that sign, it perfectly matches the clock that's above the Miles Davis record behind the counter. Of course that's it does. Sort of like, yeah. That's sort of like utilitarian clock you see in public school in the States, you know? I mean, yep, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. great. So where do we so go So moving next? on then, um, mm. well, um, we'll go to a nighttime joint now. I can't remember off the top of my head how we ended up here. I'm fairly sure that we didn't, we'd picked up this name from a, from a map, I think, but we weren't aware of it. So it was very much like a, a kind of an exploration job where I think we'd been to a few places that night. I remember definitely you being quite worse for the wear because <laughs> I remember leaving you at the station uh, and thinking, God, is he going to be able to get home okay? Because it was it was up in Kitasenju, which again, you know, you say, well, it's the north of Tokyo, but really uh, the north of Tokyo compared to like the southwest of Tokyo and then a little bit further down into Yokohama where you're based is a vast distance like it's a good maybe hour and a half or you know an hour and three quarters at that time of night depending on what trains you get or whatever so it's not like a quick journey but anyway we we kind of pushed on and discovered this place and even from the outside I mean for if you can't read the um the signage it's called Tokidoki but I mean like the signage apart from the fact that it says jazz you wouldn't necessarily think it was a jazz place at all um and actually when we went in it definitely did not fit into any of the kind of tropes of the jazz places, be they old-fashioned Showa-era places or new forward-looking places that we had been. It was just a very odd mishmash of well, things, every, everything, people. everything about it, you, like you, even you know, you mentioned the the sign outside. We've talked before about the phenomena of the snack bar, sunaku in in Japan, yeah. and the awning of this place, and the way the door and the window are, and then when you walk in, everything about it screams, "Oh, this is a local snack bar in a in a very yeah. local neighborhood." Except it has jazz written on the sign. We should tell all of our listeners outside of Japan as well. Tokidoki means sometimes, so. So jazz sometimes is how you would translate that. And and when you walk in, and, and do you remember we walked in and like immediately I just thought like, was there some mistake? But then you turn and you see all of that audio equipment that he has. 
you know, yeah. uh, with the big CD rack behind it. And you're like, okay, so, all right, he's got that going in here. And then, weirdly enough, the all the liquor next to the in that sort of above the cabinet why was it up there and whose shirt was hanging there with like it looked like you were in someone's living room or bedroom well yeah i like that photo because you've got that beautiful speaker system on the left with the bottles and then there's a sort of like a a white quilted bar stool that looks like something from sort of a 70s porn film (laughs) and then above that you've got like a i think is a set of antlers yeah Yeah. (laughs) and You just think to yourself, you know, was that the same designer or did you get different quotes from different people? I mean, it's it's such an interesting mishmash of stuff. And then behind the counter, you've got this kind of really 60s looking, maybe even 50s, 60s looking kind of Formica type shelving units with, um, you know, like household sauces and whatnot, like there's a jar of mustard up there on the top, like squeezy mustard. And of course then famously, and and he's featured quite heavily uh, in a lot of these exhibitions because this um, portrait was taken after, you know, a fair amount of time of chatting with these lads at the bar who were just having a good old time. Um, And of course, I mean, he's, the owner was just lovely, but I mean, he's got this kind of paisley looking shirt on and he's drinking his own homemade alcohol from a Pyrex beaker. <laughs> and I mean, you know, which, I mean, it's, which the, def- it's the definition us. of weird which, and wonderful. Which, which he offered to us. And uh, I, I did politely decline. As you mentioned, <laughs> I was a little bit, a little under the weather by that time of the night. And I wasn't going to be drinking this guy's yeah. homebrew. I believe it was Umeshu, which is a, a, a kind of a plum plum liquor yeah. um which at the best of times i'm not a fan of and certainly not going to be drinking the homebrew version um but i mean it, it's it's amazing you know there's a couple of things it's funny i think we've talked about it before um you know japanese manner and 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 the way people act um towards strangers and the use of polite language etc and a lot of that leads to stereotypes overseas about japanese people but what we found again and again is especially in these kinds of joints is how warm and and friendly and loving the owners and customers can be. Look at the smile on the face of the guy at the counter in that sort of blue shirt. And do you remember, this was right when Muhammad Ali had passed away. And they, right. they were talking about it in Japanese. And then they asked us where we were from. And when I said I was American, they were like, oh, you know Ali, right? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. Oh, and of course, yeah. uh, you must still have a copy of the photo, which maybe we'll put as a as a sort of a outtake upon our Instagram feed, uh, the picture of all of us doing a boxing pose with the with the customers and the owner. You, you yeah, still have I think that, you right? might have even posted it on your. Uh, I think you might have posted on your Instagram. Actually, may, so may have done that. At if the anyone time, wants yeah. to troll back three years into your Instagram feed, they can probably find it. But I'll I'll hunt it down for sure. But I mean, again, he's. It's not only the fact that he's drinking out of that Pyrex speaker. Look how much he's got. <laughs> I mean. Like anyone who's not had umeshu, it's kind of, you know, you'd have like a measure of it, like whiskey and maybe maybe mixed with soda. And it's not necessarily particularly potent, but it's not something you drink like a, a jar or a pint of. And he's got a good, the guts of at least half a pint there in that Pyrex speaker. 
Um, anyone who's sort of a fan of Easter eggs as well, um, and I, I always love the fact that, um, you know, I was able to get this photograph. I mean, I adore the photograph of him because it, he was just so smiley and it captured it nicely. But we'd also been chatting about the project to him as well. So um, at the time, I'd given him uh, one of the postcards that we'd made up for an exhibition. And again, if you listen to episode 13, you'll have heard us talking about Gugan and, and mentioning this photograph. And so just to the right of him, you can see on the shelf... Um, is the is the postcard of the project itself that I had given to him as well. So it, I, I always love the fact that it just got tucked in there into the photo. It's a nice little sort of, uh, nice little Easter egg. I'm you know? 100% certain if I go there tomorrow night for a drink, I will see that postcard up there. And, I would say so. It's and bound very, to be there, right? And very likely the bottle of mustard will still be at the top of the shelf as well. <laughs> Or at least, at least a new one. Um, but the same, the same, the same kind of thing. Yeah. But you I mean, know, it's, it's funny. It, Toki Doki is the kind of place that I mean, we, we've mentioned before how you know we because we can speak Japanese, we live here, we hear things, we check the web. I mean, and even this place was like way off of our radar. Like we never, never would have known yeah. about this joint. It was so random that like we 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 learned about it. You know, um, and spending even just an hour, an hour and a half there is is something that I will never forget yeah it was great you can also you know if you if you um if your phone runs out of battery or anything like that as well you'll notice from the photograph of of the guys chatting that you can also send a fax should you should you know anyone with a fax machine still you could send them a fax assuming you had their number so i mean really it had everything i mean it had it all didn't it oh my god so that was tokidoki um anyway as 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 anyone who's listening will uh can testify uh you did survive you got home that night um it was a long day i think that day i can't remember where we'd been um uh well we we started started at uh, at powell which we'll be getting to on another on another episode uh but that was even farther north in saitama and then um, that was like 10 in the morning wasn't it yeah it had been a pretty long day it was definitely around 10 p.m by the time we finished at tokidoki so i it was a long journey home i do remember that yes but definitely worth the trip up to tokidoki it was it was Mm. a real find and Mm. uh yeah uh, a great experience. So um, just moving on then, um, we're going to mention another slightly uh, weird and wonderful place that I thought really fitted in with this theme nicely. Now, we didn't go here um, together. I actually was on a trip uh, with a friend, Tom, down in the Kansai region uh, not long before I left Japan. Um, and as I normally do, I dragged him around uh, places uh, and he spends a lot of the time when we're traveling wondering where we're going uh, as we're wandering down (laughs) back alleys and turning corners and things like that but um, we found this place I had uh, seen it on the map and so I was sort of heading towards it but uh, it's a place called Ur and I think the only way really to describe it I mean first of all it it describes itself as you can see from the sign as jazz and lunch (laughs) Um, that makes me laugh for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what why. Jazz right? and lunch. So like, oh, we're only open from eleven uh, to two yeah. p.m. Yeah, it's very specific, but <laughs> I think it sort of makes sense in a way because what it really felt like to me was a sort of a canteen. Um, you can see there that there's a piano, um, a pretty hefty sound system, uh, a good record collection. But you can also see then looking from the door as you come in that there is this full um, kitchen at the back. And again, you can see from the two guys that are sitting at the bar, it's not a young crowd. Um, Now, this place was, again, a bit of a wander, kind of, is it here, is it not? And then, of course, you know, you finally discover it. But it's actually in the... 
the sort of the northwest part of Kyoto City, quite close to the to the mountain, where you're sort of getting into forest and mountain area. And so I think it was close to a university. So I suspect that maybe when it originally opened, it was kind of a go-to place for university students. And again, may well be that the that the piano and other um, and and the music aspect of it was for you know like we said a lot of university students are in bands and things like that and maybe they use this place to come practice or jam or whatever it is but when we went there certainly it was as you see it there were two customers um the couple that ran it and um yeah they were just churning out lunches i think we had like a i think i had like a curry rice or you know classic sort of japanese style lunch oh surely um, that was dreadful uh, no, it was actually quite nice. I mean, well, I'm a big fan of curry rice, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was it was a proper place. It was legitimately, you know, uh, a cafe. What well, it and, makes sense uh, though, what you said about the, you know, uh, being next to the large university, because a large part of the the money that would be made by not just the Jazzy Satan, but any sort of cafes in those areas, comes from cooking up uh, pretty cheap lunches by volume for all the students. Yeah. So when yeah. I was a student here. Uh, at Wasida near Takutonababa in Tokyo, there were at least, uh, I mean, and this is much more recent, I mean, this was, um, what, 2004 or five. Uh, there were about 15 to 20 uh, kisaten just surrounding the Wasida campus, and two or three of them which were uh, jazz cafes, one of which mm. you and I will be talking about mm. again later. Um, but yeah, they, they would make their money by cooking up lunch uh, for lunchtime and then stay open in the afternoon for coffee time or even the early evening for a drink uh, playing the jazz. You know, so it was kind of a, a much better business model, actually, than just opening a straight cafe. Yeah, I love this place. I mean, I, it you can see even just, I mean, it it's it's beautiful in its own way. Like, it's got this sort of fake brick wall, but it's got these beautiful wooden floorboards. It's got these gorgeous tables. And you can tell, you know, from the, t the topography on the sign that it's probably, you know, I guess sort of 60s, uh, looking at that I guess sort of early mid 60s so it's been going for a while there wasn't much chat when we went in um, you know they seemed again a bit sort of baffled why we were there um, I suspect that there are probably I mean I think when we went it was probably around late June early July so the chances are that universities were already off which might explain why it was so empty at that time of day but and so I'm sure there's there's uh, students studying overseas well, so they wouldn't Philip, be I'm, I'm very disappointed in your powers of observation as a photographer because if you look carefully at the clock in your photo it's not lunchtime it's almost five o'clock so there would not That's, be a lot of people there that, that'll be why then and to that, further that bolster my own powers of observation my favorite thing about this place is if you look at the picture with the clock and the speakers and uh right next to the record rack you see the little fridge where they've probably got looks like bottles of soda or something yeah and there seems to be a sticker on the top right that says your and i'm assuming that that was at some point you know uh we've mentioned how cafes jazz cafes in japan used to make matchbooks um they would they would manufacture mm. matchbooks in place of business cards and give them out to the customers um, which was a tradition that lasted for a very very long time um and so i'm wondering if if that sticker that says your on it you know was sort of the, that the shop decided to do that for some advertising um, yeah, it's a mind place tricks, clearly. I mean, there you go, five o'clock. <laughs> I don't know what we'd done that day. I don't know how we were ended up there. I mean, it, to be honest, if it was five to five and that clock is right, I'm surprised we even got in, like it was still open at that time. But um, yeah. Um, well, you good, know, there, good, but there's a very good chance the clock was not right. I mean, we've been in places where the clocks weren't working, although this place looks a bit more clean. 
Yeah, it, it, it probably was. Um, I don't know. But it was definitely worth a visit. And if you're ever in that area, I mean, whether I'd go specifically to to visit, I don't know. But I'm glad we did. Uh, I'm glad I did anyway. Um, but certainly, you know, if you were ever in Kyoto, it's definitely worth a little trip out there because a uh, really nice spot. But uh, unlike me, I'd time it for lunchtime rather than five to five just to get <laughs> it at its... Uh, at its best. Anyway, so um, that's four places we've been on uh, today. We're going to finish off with one of your favourites. And again, one of the places that uh, for me has a couple of fairly iconic photographs in terms of, you know, my feelings about the project and, and, and having seen so many of the images. Um, and also uh, somewhere that we went to pretty early on um, in the project, I think. Yes, it was pretty early on. I think that when I first... Uh, when I first made up a list of places to propose to you, um, I was trying to pick not not just my favorites, but the ones that I thought we we really would have to capture uh, if there was any danger at all that they would close. Um, now, this place is called Egakon. Egakon in Japanese means movie theater, so it's a very odd name for a jazz cafe. And if you look at the first pictures you've got, you can see right on the sign there is like a real, uh, you know, real film and an old camera. Um, and once you walk into the place and, you know, even by the cramped standards of Japanese jazz cafes and jazz bars, Egakon is pretty cramped. You got to watch it when you're moving around in there because there's really no walking space. It's tables and just things everywhere. Your worst um, nightmare. The, <laughs> the owner, Yoshida-san, absolute star, um, he used to work in the film industry. And the story, to keep it very brief, uh, they needed a place to show some 16-millimeter films. These were all documentary filmmakers, people outside the big industry. And so they rented this little space, and they were showing some films. Um, somebody brought by some booze. One day, somebody brought by a record to listen to while they were hanging out and set up a little turntable. One thing led to another another jazz spot was born. But they kept the name Egakon, movie theater. And uh, for film fans, this is, uh, which I'm a huge film fan, that's one of the reasons I came to Japan, because I studied Japanese cinema. Um, this is just paradise, because he has a whole series of photo books above a cabinet um, on the history of Japanese film, photo books about Japanese cinemas, the old-style cinemas with the hand-painted drawings for the posters. Um, intermixed with all of these records from a lot of European jazz, actually. He seems to have a thing for, for European jazz records. But of course, as you can see from the pictures as well, Thelonious Monk, uh, a mix of classic bebop and modern jazz. It's just one of the most special places in, in the whole country. There's I've never been in a joint like it. And um, he, is a re he and his wife are absolutely very welcoming towards any foreigners that come by. Um, they'll speak a little bit of English to you, so it's an easy place to come into. I must have taken at least 20 or 30 people there over the years um, and everyone's raved about it um, the only demerit being that he has a cat which uh, doesn't work well for me but beyond that i would say it's uh, for certain it's in the top 10 of all my jazz spots in japan yeah it's um i mean it's a bit of a hackneyed phrase i know but um, we've we've described quite a few of these places as kind of museums or living museums of of jazz and i mean this is a good example of that just the sheer amounts of memorabilia it it does go beyond just the multiple copies of Thelonious Monk the Prophet that you can see um it gets featured in the window and also uh in several different formats in inside but um it's just full of I mean it's it's one of those places where do you even start I mean even down to the bottles of Coca-Cola on the counter you know he's got these all these different unopened bottles of Coke 
um, <laughs> and you know some of them with with Chinese uh, writing. I think there's a Thai one there as well. And uh, yeah, I remember this portrait again quite probably. At closer to the start of the project, I was definitely a bit nervy about photographing uh, the owners and things like that. Um, but there's something about this portrait. It's not technically uh, perfect in any, by any means, but I do uh, love the fact that he's hidden in there behind those um, fantastic coffee flasks that you see in so many coffee shops in Japan. I also, I think this sound system is, is the one that always put me in mind initially of this idea of the shrine. Um, you know, it just has that look of a temple more than as more than perhaps any of the other ones, the way the speakers are set up with the uh, the amplifier in the middle, uh, and there's just something religious about it. Even the little shelves up above uh, just have that feeling of you know if you've been to a shrine or a temple in Japan, just all the multiple levels of shelves and di- li- lots of little different artifacts and and um, things set in different places with with some sort of significance and uh yeah it's just a gorgeous gorgeous place i mean i don't have too much memory of being there at the time but i mean that's a good probably i'd say five years ago now isn't it yeah yeah i think so um i i was able to go back um about i think about two years ago when uh, a BBC uh, journalist was in town doing a, um, a radio sh- program about jazz in Japan. And so we went there and, and interviewed Yoshida-san. Um, and it's funny because I remember, um, you know, you mentioned this, the, the beautiful sort of shrine-like aspect of the sound system. He doesn't crank it up all the time. Um, but when we were there at one point, he, he decided to because there were no other customers. And he kicked the volume up. And, and man, I'm telling you, it shook the building. It was unbelievable. Um, and one other great thing about Egakon. Uh, we've seen in a couple other places. I think we were mentioning when we were in Yokohama, uh, we talked about Marshmallow and how they do the sort of a listening party or like a listening event, they call it, um, yeah. here. So he has um, a group of regular customers who come in, um, I think it's two Saturdays a month at six o'clock. And they, they basically take this one main table in Akakon and a couple of little nooks and crannies, right? So they take the main table, which can seat about seven or eight people. And these old fellas uh, bring in records, and they basically just use it as a, as a space for them to hang out and get drunk and listen to whatever records they want to talk about. They call it like the Jazz Listening Society, but it's really just a group of regular customers who have been doing it for years and years. And, uh, you know, Yoshida-san said, like, oh, no, you can come by and join them. You know, they'll love you. They'll hang out with anybody as long as they're drinking, you know. And, and it's just, you know, one more time, how warm and embracing these places can be. Not all of them. We've talked about the places where you're a little scared to go in and talk to the owners. But, but the vast majority of them is when you start talking about the music, you start sharing the passion with them and they'll just open up their little private world to you and um i mean i've had nights in agacon popped in just to have one or two ended up staying for five hours just because yoshisan and i were talking about records and movies you know it's it's that kind of special joint and i i'm so happy that you were able to get like you said i think the portrait you took of him is perfect with that sort of half what it looked like coffee grinds is it in the in the glass yeah he's i think he's brewing a coffee probably probably for me actually but um yeah i mean i think a little respect and a little humility goes a long way in these places and i think Mm. you know if you if you're listening and you you know i know a lot of people have been in touch with us and and you know to sort of concur with some of our choices in terms of the best places that we've been so far and all the rest of it. And uh, I know a lot of people listening have had their own experiences with different joints. But if you haven't been to these places yet and you're ever planning to go, you know, I think really that's the key. A little respect, a little humility, 
it goes a long way. And, you know, even putting language barriers aside and things like that, I think if you can show that uh, to the owners and particularly, you know, you have that interest in the music, um, you know, it does in general in Japan, it goes a long way, but particularly in these places, you know, people will be welcoming. There will be, um, they will sort of open up the places to you and, um, you know, it, it can completely transform your experience of, of, of visiting these places, uh, depending on how you sort of approach them. And I think, you know, I don't, don't want to start preaching at people, but definitely just, you know, just going in, getting a seat, just taking it all in, keep your phone in your pocket. Um, and just get a feel for the place. And, you know, quite often you'll find owners, who, a lot of whom have a smattering of English as well. So even if you don't speak Japanese, will eventually engage you, you know, particularly if they see you giving a thumbs up to a particular record or, you know, looking at something in spe specific inside the place. And um, it does go a long way, I think, in, in terms of enriching your experience when you do visit them. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's uh, definitely a good friendly reminder not to come off like a grumpy old man, but... Um, Yes, of course, you know, go in and take your pictures, um, look up stuff online if you need to, if you're traveling to get to the next place you're going to, but put your phone away um, and just sit down and, and, and enjoy the atmosphere because, you know, as you, as you said very well there, Philip, I mean, it's, it's an experience that you cannot recreate at, not just at home, but you really can't recreate this anywhere else. If there's any other country in the world that has shops like Khan. Um, please let us know. I mean, we, we have heard about a, a mysterious place in Buenos Aires, <laughs> Argentina. Um, yep. We do know that there is a place in uh, in Munich, I believe. Um, and of course, our no, friends in, at the Rhinoceros. In, in, in Cologne, but uh, oh, in yeah, Cologne, you're right. In okay. Germany, yeah. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, really nowhere else, even in, in, in jazz-loving countries like France or Denmark or God knows in the United States, um, you know there just aren't places like this. So if you're if you're a jazz fan at all, um, you you really do have to experience this at least once. And as I've mentioned before, my top ten list currently includes about seventy one places, but I will narrow it down by the time we finish our podcast series, Philip. I promise you, and uh, we'll we'll celebrate with sort of James's special final top ten list. Oh, James's special final top ten list. If that's not an incentive to keep listening, I don't know what is. Um, it's funny you should mention these places. I mean, I had put an application into a fringe festival here this year, um, and there certainly seemed to be a fair bit of interest in it uh, to kind of recreate a jazz joint, uh, or at least recreate the experience of going to a jazz joint, you know, and, and that kind of whole listening environment um, over a couple of weeks. Um, unfortunately, of course, um, you know, um, social distancing and a global pandemic doesn't really fit with squeezing uh, a small number of people into a tiny space. So um, that's had to kind of uh, go on pause for a moment. But in the future, it's something I'd really like to do um, uh, to create an installation uh, with the photographs and also something much more interactive where at least, you know, if you've never been to these places, you could kind of get uh, a taste, if nothing else, of what that experience and how intense uh, a kind of a listening experience that it is. But um, so watch this space for that. Listen, James, that's kind of um, all we've got time for this week. Um, as always, thank you to Brian uh, of Grooves Ahead. You can uh, check out his work at GroovesAhead.com. He very kindly uh, has volunteered to kind of mix down the tracks for us each week before we uh, get busy with the editing scissors. Thanks also to Louis Elastic for our theme music. And thank you to all of you for listening and continuing to support us. Uh, as I've said before in previous episodes, we're blown away by the interest in the project, the support and the love that we've had from you 
social media. And of course, the number of listens that and downloads that we've had since we began. Um, and it gives us um, a real encouragement uh, and a real fire to kind of keep going and document the project a bit more through our own reminiscences and uh, adventures in the project to date. And then also to try and uh, get the funding together uh, to kind of finish off the project, if a project like this indeed can ever be finished, um, so that we can certainly uh, take all the photographic work uh, and put it together with some of our experiences and create a book. So um, again, watch the space for that. Based and, uh, on based on experience, there is always another jazz bar we have not visited yet. So I true, mean, this may true. be going on for a very long time. Um, but yes, we love everybody who listens and has been getting in touch. Uh, keep the comments coming. Um, email us and don't forget Sunday nights right after the Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. Do check out the OK Jazz podcast for some groovy tunes on KOL Radio at Mixcloud.com. And that concludes this week's promo. So, uh, between now and next week, please go to the project website, tokyojazzjoints.com. Check out some of the photographs. Uh, We would say if you're listening to the podcast, it probably enriches it even further if you're checking out the images at the same time. Uh, Do like us, uh, share us, and support us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All of those are at Tokyo Jazz Joints. Um, James, until next week. Take it easy. Stay safe, buddy.